The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. All ideas expressed are opinions and property of host Dr. Dory Lynn or the Center for Relationships, Sexuality, and Spirituality, LLC. It's time for Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Your host is Dr. Dory Lynn. Age and experience are an asset, and Dr. Dory has put together experience, stories, some great guests, and connections with you front and center for a fun-filled adventure. We invite your participation as well. Now, here is Dr. Dory Lynn. This is Dr. Dory Lynn. Welcome back to Mindful Matters. And we're going to talk, as always, about an aspect of either love, sex, or spirit. Last week, though, we left off on the notion of critical thinking. So I want to go back to that a little bit before we go forward to some of the other ideas. And one of the reasons I thought critical thinking was so crucial, because we are so inundated with so much information that some may be true, some may not. Some may be true in different aspects, in different lights. It's like the old kaleidoscope that I used to play with as a child and maybe you used to play with or do play with, whereas you turn it around, the different colors come up and you get different patterns. They're all true. For me, they were all beautiful, but they certainly were different. The same thing with the prism. There are many truths. How one looks at them depends on, and I'll tell you what I believe it depends on. I believe it depends on who you are, your personality, your culture, how you've been brought up, your DNA, and that may be surprising, and it's not something that is particularly politically correct, but we know from studies, and it makes sense, that DNA impacts how people behave and think. Not always, of course, these are generalities. But for example, I was fascinated by a study that showed that children of soldiers who survived the Civil War, now this is Civil War relatively recently, um, died at an earlier age than their companions. Well, the only reason that people can think about this, there are some reasons, maybe they weren't brought up as well, or maybe they had trauma in their families. But there is a theory that trauma can be passed on through DNA, and it can mutate genes. And we know, and I remember, I can't remember the the sportscaster who was fired when he said this, but I think it is true that certain kinds of people who have been brought up with certain skills, 
whether it be Africa or education in the U.S. or uh, different cultures, do develop different skills. And we're not all created equal in that way. We're all created equal as human beings, but we aren't all created with the same skills. So DNA, we now know, has much greater impact than we ever thought. And mutated DNA or mutated genes go uh, traditionally can go on generations and generations. We also know that the way we perceive the world comes from our parents and our social strata. We also know that we can break out of some of these givens and uh, develop our own perceptions. Some of us are more adventuresome than others. Some of us need more structure than others. But what has happened in the last 20 years since the internet or 50 years or with the advent of the steam engine, for example, is the world has been changing and changing faster and faster than human beings psychobiologically can keep up. That is one reason I believe that young children are diagnosed with so much AHD and ADHD and are put on pills. We're a pill-popping society when, in my view, we really don't need them and shouldn't be. But just think, and I have said this before, so it's not new if you've ever listened to me, that if you believe in evolution, it has taken eons for people to do things like stand up, lose their tails, uh, for years, we thought the appendix was no was a vestigial organ. We no longer needed it. And now we find, lo and behold, we don't really need it, but it still serves a purpose. So people are very different. And over time, we have been a slower world generally and have had more time to absorb. To go back to young children, If they're on cell phones, which we now know uh, radiation causes distortion and genetic change, there's no question about that, but we now know that the impact, the rapid impact of so much stimuli is more than young children can tolerate. Just think of it evolutionarily. It's taken so many years for us to adjust to different ways of being, different societies, different foods. And food, too, by the way, impacts us, of course, and exercise. But young children, systems freeze, and they psychobiologically, dynamically stop functioning, many of them. They just go on overload. So I've been thinking more and more about some of the issues that technology brings. It brings wonderful advancements. We all know that. It brings dangers. I have often thought that I don't really know anymore if nuclear war 
or what we call climate change, or um, which is really more people pollution change. Uh, I don't know if these are the biggest dangers, or if if there was a real war, if somebody would just shut down the grid and have everything stop. There have been blackouts, we all know. There was one in New York uh, last week, a, sh- a small one. Uh, I wonder, I'm just raising the question, I don't know. I wonder if the extreme grid stop in Venezuela, when because it's a country in great turmoil, was an accident or on purpose. So how does all of this lead to the need for critical thinking and also the need for emotional intelligence. Those of you who've heard my show last week, excuse me, uh, know that I'm deeply troubled by how we are erasing our history. I do not believe we can erase history. We can explain history We can learn from history. We can change history, but we can't erase it. That's what totalitarian governments have tried to do, and we produce very, very different societies. So I'm very disturbed by our current long-held standard of education, which until recently... 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, has served us in some ways. But now we're producing hordes of graduates that have learned to memorize facts across disciplines, frequently technological whizzes, and they lack direction in ethics, social skills, adaptability, or even knowing what they want, or even knowing what happiness looks like, or fulfillment looks like. I do not believe the goal in life is happiness. And I will tell you something interesting. In my field, which is psychology, or one of my fields, but my major training for years and years and years was even as a psychoanalyst a zillion years ago, Uh, We considered if you had seven out of ten good days, kind of you woke up in the morning and you thought this was a pretty good day, you had a very good life. Being unhappy or being depressed or being stressed or being anxious is part of living. And we're trying to teach, we're, we're teaching ways that we are not teaching, that's not a very good sentence, but we're teaching people ways to not cope with stress, with difficult times. And there are times in everybody's life that are difficult. Uh, When somebody dies and a person mourns for a year or so, uh, why would we want to give them a lot of pills so that they go right to functioning. Almost all religions and societies uh, for years, for ancient times, for years, 
understood that mourning was a process and a healthy process. And if one didn't get through it, uh, they would probably get sick. There is a connection between mind, body, spirit, love, sex, spirit. So today in our schools, we are dropping, systematically dropping courses that teach skills how to live. We are not teaching life skills. We are not teaching emotional empathy. We are not teaching critical thinking. And I'll go back to that. So the the general system is failing us. And we are failing our children in that way. We are proud of their successes. We worry about um, about their future, but we are not doing very much to now to help them. And uh, we're not teaching much about critical thinking. So I wanted to talk a little about that in a minute. I did have an insight that is changing my mind, and I want to, to, to share that with you. Uh, we know that People who are poor are less healthy. And it's not just the foods they eat. It's the stress they're under. It's the tension in their body. It's the anxiety they feel. And dulling their feelings with pills doesn't necessarily help them. It may in a short term, but if you ever read the black boxes on standard tranquilizers or antidepressives or anxiety pills, they're pretty scary. The the physiological responses are terrifying. Uh, Suicidal thoughts, kidney failure, heart attack, uh, um, high blood pressure. Once in a while, when I watch TV, I see an advertisement for a medication. And then, of course, there's uh, 10 times as much education about everything that can go wrong. And people tend to block that out because they say, oh, this is going to help me feel better. And um, whatever negative thing may happen will happen to somebody else. Well, that's not true. So this is all part of this impact that we have constantly of information, whether it's media, movies, TV, news. I read or skim. I really can't say I read, but I would say about 12 publications a day, maybe more, maybe less, uh, of different kinds, by the way, Scientific American to liberal to conservative newspapers, um, particular articles around love, sex, intimacy, spirituality, because these are things that interest me. And 
I also, uh, as you know, if you've listened, have traveled a great deal, so I've been exposed to many cultures. How does one, how do I start to figure out what is really true? We do know there is what is called fake news. But what is fake news? Is it something that one disagrees with? Or is it a bot that has been planted? Or is it a particular take or a sentence taken out of context that is a true sentence? The words are true. You can go and fact check them. They are true. They're just taken out of context. I don't know about you, but I know in my blessed long life, I'm turning 78 in two weeks. I'm very excited about that. In my blessed long life, uh, if somebody wanted to go back and find things out about me that they would deem terrible according to their value system, they would find them. If they would find things, want to find things that I have said that uh, seemed a little bit off kilter today, they'd probably find them because times have changed and my thinking has changed, my verbiage has changed, my uh, sentences taken out of context have changed. I can think of examples off the cuff that happen. So I know myself that trying to discern basic truths and ethics and morals that suit what I believe, and it's what I believe, and yet to remain malleable enough to change and ingest new information is incredibly difficult. And as a psychologist, a great deal of my training was to learn how to read what we would call the unspoken or the shadow side. Jung speaks a lot about this. It's learning to understand what is not said, learning to go past a physical presentation. The majority of people, 90 some odd percent, I can't remember the exact percentage, I think it's around 92, but I wouldn't hold me to it, will react to a facial or physical response, a body language, before they hear the words. And if there's a contradictory statement between body language and words, the body language will carry. Now, that's pretty amazing. That means we're dealing with our gut, we're dealing with emotions, we are not thinking. So it is, I've been thinking a lot about why it's so important for us to go back to what I'm calling critical thinking or not absorbing or having what I'd like to call a gate around us so that we don't, a metaphoric gate, not a real gate, not a wall, but a metaphoric gate around us as a human being so that we can theoretically, just think about this as a vision, open the gate 
let in as much as we want and say, no, that's enough for today. Or open the gate, especially around our heart, by the way, because I am going to talk about love, and say, do I really want this information? Do I need it? Is it my highest priority? What is it trying to tell me? What do I want to know? And I'm finding in my own life, as I'm inundated with information, and I'm starting to write in my fourth book, so I'm saying, what do I let go? What do I keep? How do I help my children, my grandchildren, hopefully what will be great-grandchildren? How do I help them learn to be the person they want to be, their own individual? How can they be emotionally loving, aware people? and also thinking people to be present in the world and in their daily life, if possible, make a difference. I started to say something before that has impacted me, so bear with me. I was very upset about something very that directed me, uh, directly impacted me for a few days. And my body was tense, even though I do yoga, Uh, My body was tense, and I could feel the tension. And I thought, this is what makes people sick. Poverty, as we know, that's where I started, makes people sick. They're not sick because, they're not poor because they're sick. They can be, of course. But they get sick because they're poor, because they, they don't, have the security of what they need. And uh, I've been thinking about things like that. I'll talk more about in the next few weeks as my own thoughts coalesce. But to go back to the idea of critical thinking and what we don't teach in school. You know, we don't teach geography. People have no idea where a country is. They don't know the customs. They don't know their own history. They don't know family dynamics. They don't know much about how to live and love. They may know how to be reactive, but very few of us are steady enough to know what we need first. So to critically think and to get back to this deluge of information, how do we begin to tease out what our thinking is about? For one thing, for one thing, we, um, we can't take anything at face value, and we have to evaluate what we're listening to. Just because somebody we respect says it's true doesn't mean it is true. We need to learn how to take a breath. That's why I like the word mindful. We need to learn to take a breath and not just accept what is true just because someone has said it. Is there scientific evidence? 
Is there a basis for what's being said? We have two ears, one mouth. Let's learn to listen and not just express the thoughts that come to our mind. What else might help us with critical thinking? What's the motive? Is the motive to elect somebody? Is the motive to get my money? I love the way, um, I don't love it, I actually hate it, and not even dislike, I hate it. I like the way I have now become the supervisor of employees and companies don't have to evaluate them anymore. If I have a dealing with someone on the phone, I then most frequently, AT&T does it, uh, Amazon does it, and many other companies. How was your interaction with this person? Well, it's one way of one way of judging that the person they've hired does their work, but why is it my job to tell them what I think about this person? It takes me time, it takes me effort, and they don't know who I am. Uh, just think about your regular interactions. How often are you asked to rate an event or an experience or a person? Why should you have to do it? Uh, it's time-consuming at the least. And while it may keep somebody honest and trying to help you, I wonder about it. There are pluses and minuses. Uh, I, I read recently, while I'm still on this, that standard therapy, of course, is no longer considered something one does. Change takes time. Change is guaranteed, and change takes time. And uh, they're now teaching representatives on the phone who have had very little training. They're just generally nice, friendly people. How to be active listeners so that they can do therapy, uh, or what we are calling therapy. I think therapy has to do with the soul. But do you know who is advising you? Why are you taking the advice? What is your critical thought? Have you ever thought about, yes, it's nice to be listened to, but who is it who you're sharing your information with? What are you telling them? And why is their advice better than somebody else? I remember as a young woman uh, shopping, and in those days there were some stores that had general dressing rooms. There are still stores that have that. And it was standard. So I'll be back with my thoughts about asking others' opinions when I have no idea who I'm asking. So this is Dr. Dore. You can call in at 1-888-346-9141. You can email me and stay with me and listen and interact at Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. I'll be back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Dory Lynn's latest book, Sex for Grownups, reveals the truths, lies, and must-tries for great sex after 50. Now published by Simon & Schuster, this book shows that no matter the age, sex can be a wonderful experience, but there are efforts that need to be taken. Read the book, try some of the suggestions, and live a happier life with better sex. Right now, for a limited time, mention Voice America and get 20% off the book when you email Dr. Dory at drdory.com. That's D-R-D-O-R-R-E-E at drdory.com. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to Lead Up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your host, Colleen Biggs, speaks with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show, Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit, with Dr. Dory Lynn. We want to hear from you today at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to drdory at drdory.com. Now, back to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. This is Dr. Dory, Dr. Dory Lynn, Dr. Dory with Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Call in 1-888-346-9141, write me or um, email, you know, just when I say write, email, uh, we're always open to Questions, suggestions, dissent, thoughts, whatever you'd like. I left off and I started to say that critical thinking is so important and we take in information without thinking about who we're taking it in from and what their motive is. And I started to say that I remember as a young woman going into this big fitting room and putting on something. And I knew my own taste pretty well. But just like every other woman in the fitting room, I would turn to somebody and say, 
what do you think? And I would take in their opinion. Well, maybe this woman liked purple and I liked orange. And maybe they liked flowers and I liked stripes. It was stupid. It was just stupid. It was ignorant. It was innocent. I was looking for affirmation from somebody who I didn't know at all. We all do that. And we, we want so much to be liked that we're willing to give up our own gut reaction, our own brain reaction, our own souls, ultimately. So one of the most important things is to think about where the information is coming from. When a phone company calls and said, boy, do I have a deal for you. If you buy a new phone, we're going to give you a special whatever, and you have been selected especially for this. And does how many of us stop and think, well, do we really want a new phone? Do we need it? Do we, um, do, what is their motive? Their motive is to sell something. I have an Amer- I've been a member of American Express for 49 years. I've seen the company change dramatically as society has changed from a very service-oriented company to not so different very often from most other companies. And after an interaction with them, let's say I'm questioning a charge or we're just talking about a bill or something that I want to do on to travel, I'll get something that says, I'll get an email, and the, the verbiage always gets to me, American Express needs your feedback. Give me a break. They don't need my feedback. They would like it. They would like me to stay interacted. They would like to stay connected. Maybe they want my information too. We're very confused in our culture, I believe, between the difference between need and want. Needs are very basic. They're what we all know. They're survival needs. Everything else is secondary. Now, many people disagree with me, but I actually believe that if you watch babies, just just babies, Firstborn, and by the way, talking about what makes our personality, anyone who's ever carried a child uh, in their womb, anyone who's held a newborn, knows that a child is born with their own instinct, their own personality. Some are kickers, some are screamers, some are peaceful, some eat a lot, some are... um, uh, very alert. We were born with certain poss- possibilities and personalities, and the rest also changes us. You know, the old question about is it genetics or uh, environment? It's all of that plus so much more, as we now know, especially in a changing world that has so much pollution and food that we can't eat or shouldn't be eating, and all the mega issues that politics 
uh, avoid or talk about one or the other. But I, I'm very critical about these emails that say, we need you, or what do you think, or evaluate, or how can we do our job better? Well, one way you could do your job better is to do it and leave me alone and not ask me to use my very precious time and my time and my health and my personal life are more important than anything I have the older I get. It's friends, family, not necessarily in that order, love, friends, time that is well used efficiently and hopefully productively. And if one has health or one wants to be healthy, to work toward that. So why should I spend my time with everybody's, quote, needs, unquote, when they're not needs at all? The real needs might be my daughter calling up and saying, Mom, she might be in tears, Mom, my oldest is in the hospital. Would you come out? I need you. I would consider that a need. You know, we also, talking about critically thinking, think a lot of things are emergencies. And I've written about this in one of my books. It may have been on the book on caregiving. I never public publicized my books. I really should. Or the one on getting uh, sane without going crazy. But we use the word crisis so often. And there's very few things that are a crisis in life. A crisis is death, saving somebody's life, uh, severe illness, maybe having to survive a fire. And by the way, I've had a home burned to the ground. And as serious as that was, and as life-changing as it was, and it took me years to transition from total loss of my history, which is what happened, uh, I'm not sure that was a crisis. It was a difficult time, and it was a learning experience. So a lot depends on how one uses these experiences to change. But we do call so many things crisis. If a two-year-old picks up a knife to play with and puts it in their mouth, I would say that's a crisis and you better operate um, and react very quickly. And I think of that because the two times that I ever slapped my youngest child uh, were both accidental, actually. Uh, The first one was I had her perched on the kitchen counter as as I was working and she was helping me. She was very young. And I turned around and she did have a knife in her mouth. And as many parents do, and the, the, the standard example is a kid crosses the street and does not get hit by the car. And the parent is so upset that you hit the kid. It's a kind of human reaction. And I remember looking at my daughter And I managed to get the knife away from her without any damage. And then I slapped her. 
and I slapped her because I was so terrified. It was nothing she did. I'm not proud of that moment. She didn't deserve it. It was my instinctive reaction to a terror that I, in the moment, didn't handle as well as I wish. I think that was a crisis, though. That was saving my daughter's life. And it was actually done, I think, out of carelessness that I did because I never quite sat her on the counter the same way again. So what else do we need for critical thinking? With everything that is thrown at us every day, and we do get overwhelmed, how can you decide to take matters into your own hands? How do you empower yourself? If you have a problem to solve, a decision to make, a perspective issue to evaluate, this is one of the ways that technology, I think, can be beneficial. You can find anything on Google. Now, you do have to be careful what you Google and what information you want. Uh, We happen to have Alexa in one room in our house, and I sometimes am hysterical because we actually have conversations, and I'll say, uh, I, I actually use her mostly as an alarm, you know, to wake up, to go to sleep. It's very convenient. Uh, but sometimes I'll be debating something or I'll look up a word, and I'll say, Alexa, you know, please find. And she either spouts out information that either has nothing to do with what I'm looking for. It's really kind of humorous. Sometimes I get something that's useful. Or she says, and I am guilty of this, she says, thank you for asking. I'm sorry I can't help you with that problem. I don't think she uses the word problem, and I don't think she says thank you. She's very polite, or she'll say, I don't know the answer to that. And I actually am talking back to a robot, and uh, that is not critical thinking, except maybe if I stopped talking. So in a way, the more information you have about an issue, the better. At the same time, you have to be very careful about the sources that you go to. As those of you who have heard me before know that I am very much a personal proponent of non-traditional medicine. And I credit a lot of what I think is a blessing of my good health to staying out of hospitals and um, preventative care. And I work with people who believe in preventative care. Well, if I was Googling um, particular information, I would be inundated with information and it would be conflicting. And I will admit I have an, I have two Western doctors and one Eastern doctor and a few in between. And I simply don't tell them. You know, I listen to everything. I figure I've lived longer than they have. I listen with great care, but I know they do not know everything. And that 
because of my life experience and my life living in thousands of people, thousands of people's unconscious and their minds and the way, um, and their souls, I don't like the word mind, and the ways that they are put together, I know that there are some areas that I believe I know more than the doctor talking about that as a side effect, just a sidebar. Most people forget that your physician or nurse practitioner or whoever it is that you use at this point is your employee. They are not in charge of your life. You are paying them or insurance is paying them. You are the boss. Just because they tell you to do something does not mean you have to. I really should do a whole show on this because I know even as a professional, and I had thousands of people, my experience has really been wonderful and vast, I would shock people when I would say, let's meet for six trial sessions and let's decide if we're a good match. And if you don't think we're a good match, tell me and fire me. Fire me nicely. Don't just walk away. How can I learn? How can you learn if we both don't know why it hasn't worked? I spent a lot of my life doing supervision of psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, and other helpers. And sometimes when somebody was stuck, I would say, come on in with your client. I don't even like calling them patients. Come on in with your client and let's treat you as a couple. And uh, people felt safe enough to be able to do that. And it was quite a unique experience. And the client would come in and say, I just don't feel heard, or I think so-and-so, my doctor or social worker, whoever it is, or my priest or my minister or my rabbi, whoever, uh, thinks this and this and this. And I don't know how to get across that I don't think they are right. And we would deal with it as a couple's issue. And uh, it was very empowering for both parties It was humbling for both parties, and it was always a learning experience for me. And I wish more people did listened, just listened and asked questions. And when they hit an impasse, they don't run, but talk. Maybe I won't get to my whole idea about love and loss today because we're still on critical thinking. What else do I think we have to do? Well, I've alluded to it. I think we have to ask questions. Many of us have been taught that it's too forward to ask a question or that we're selfish if we ask a question or how dare we ask a question of someone in authority. Well, you don't know what the answer will be. You never know if you assume And most of us assume a great deal in life. There's nothing wrong most of the time. There are times it's probably not so wise to ask a question. I'll agree to that. But I was brought up in a wonderful school system 
It happened to be in New York City. It happened to be an outstanding school system at that time. It isn't anymore. I was talking recently with somebody, and it was just known for being the best or one of the best in the United States. And it wasn't just that it was a fine school system, but schools did get rated on regent scholars, merit scholars. I'm talking now about elementary school. And we did learn and we did have freedom to explore. So asking a question or working in groups and learning with other people is an asset in my, in my belief system. Just spouting back facts doesn't help us think for ourselves. So sometimes if you're not sure you know something, ask. Or if you're pretty sure you know, check it out. Sometimes I'm pretty sure I know something. And uh, my significant other, who thinks very differently than I do, will say, yes, that's one way of looking at it. And what if we look at it this way, or I'll do the same thing. And sometimes we're both right. And learning how to negotiate, I think of it as being at two edges of of a bridge and learning how to either pass each other on the bridge because not everything is worth an argument or discussion, or learning when we can discuss something and maybe not change their mind but understand why they might think that way is a gift. I wish the whole world would think that way. I do have some dear friends, and they don't have a great deal of money, but they have a great deal of morality. And uh, she happens to be a devout Catholic, and he happens to be an Orthodox Jew, and they've only been married about 60 years in a very wonderful marriage. And one of the things they do and have done forever is they take children from other countries, the most recent was Cyprus, uh, who are of different religions and different ways of thinking. And they just let them live in their house and sleep in the same room, feed them, take them to American activities. There are many programs like that, of course. And the hope is that as they bond and learn to listen to each other, they will, of course, go back to their country of origin with just that much more understanding of the differences. This is very true, by the way, in certain primary schools in Israel and Palestine, but that's a hot topic that deserves an entire an entire session, so I won't go there. But there are little pockets where people are trying to get dialogue going and understanding and learn to care, learn the quality. I'm not talking about love right now, but learn empathy, compassion, and understanding. If you have empathy, compassion, and understanding, maybe you can change your corner of the world. I'm not sure any one person is going to change the world. Uh, Anything is possible, but you certainly can impact in your daily life. I want to go back to another thing I said before. You can't ever assume you are right. 
you can assume you know your own belief systems. And I know sometimes when you have a hard-headed desire, which I have to be as get my views across as the next person, uh, boy, that feels awesome when somebody agrees with me. But it's an ego trip. Most often, all I'm doing is really expressing opinions that I believe have merit, things, ideas, concepts that I've learned from years of reading, years of listening, years of traveling, years of experiencing, years of going very deeply into uh, the unconscious and not assuming that I know, but asking, learning, listening. It's very, uh, it's an awe-inspiring experience to think you know a lot. And sometimes I know I know a lot about some things. But if you ask me to explain Einstein's theory, I think I would see pretty gobbledygook. I have a general idea. And in fact, when I was very young, this is a really true story, I had heard that Einstein was brilliant about a theory about relativity. And I went to my mother, this is a true story, and I said to my mother, Mom, I don't understand why he's so special because I have relatives. I know all about relativity. That was a child's view. Um, I'll tell you another lack of knowledge, real ignorance as a, as a child. I grew up in Manhattan for a period of time. And because there were tall skyscrapers and we went to the planetarium all the time and the lights all came from the buildings. We even had the Twin Towers, ultimately. Buildings were high and we didn't walk looking up as I do now where I live in the country where I can see the stars and the changes in, in nature and I'm much more part of nature. But I literally did not know that you could see a shooting star in New York City. Somehow I had assumed that because I had never seen one in the city, this is a child's assumption, but we all do things like this, that I had to go outside to the country to see a shooting star. And so we make sense of the information that we have. In retrospect, I smile because, of course, there are shooting stars over New York City. But why would I think I could see them when my exposure had been the planetarium or had been the lights? What else do we need for critical thinking? We need the details. Break it down. The old saying, devil is in the details. I would wager that as much as we love the big picture, we need to pay attention to the trees as well. We need the forest. We need the trees. So next time, maybe I'll just end for now and say, keep it simple. Was it keep it simple, stupid? Keep it simple. If it starts to get too complex, then stop. Go for 
go for the principle of parsimony. If it is simple and it makes sense, you're probably right. So I haven't touched emotional intelligence. I haven't touched love. I haven't touched what loss and the fear of loss does to most people for love. You'll have to come back next week and bear with me and be with me as we talk. Dr. Dore at Mindful Matters. Thank you for being a part of our show. Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Be sure to join Dr. Dory Lane for another exciting show next week.